Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, my curious friends. I am Diana Kander, welcoming you to another amazing installment of Professional AF. This show documents my journey to understand all of those blind spots that I've been carrying around my entire adult life that have been serving me pretty poorly and holding me back. Each week, I talk to an expert that has a completely unique take on a topic that I'm interested in and would like to work on. And today I'm discussing Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, with my therapist, Candy Smith. You guys remember Candy from earlier this season when we talked about shame? An incredible episode if you haven't heard it. You gotta make it the next listen after this show. Candy has been a licensed therapist for several decades. She specializes in working with adults and children with trauma. And every time I talk to her, I wish I had a pen and paper handy to write down all the insights. In Dare to Lead, Brene teaches us that leadership is not about titles or the corner office. It's about the willingness to step up, put yourself out there, and lean into courage. The world is desperate for brave leaders, and it is time for all of us to step up. Now, Brene has written the ultimate playbook for developing brave leaders and courageous cultures, And today, Candy and I are going to dive deep into this work and discuss why being nice destroys vulnerability and courage at work, how our time management sabotages our creativity and courage, how failure is not an option and a culture of excellence only increases the risk inside of your organization. And Candy defines something called pronking and tells us why it's the best way for a leader to introduce courage to work. Before we get to this conversation, please take a second to review the show and make sure that you're subscribed. It's really the only thing that I wish for this holiday season. That and that my dog finally starts letting me hug her. So please don't leave today without clicking on something inside the app that you use to listen to the show and this incredibly insightful conversation with Candy Smith. Candy Smith, welcome back. Nice to be here. You are our one and only return guest. Oh, that is exciting. I didn't know that. Yep. And we are completing, uh, like we talked about, the trilogy. We start with shame, move on to vulnerability today, and then resilience next time. Awesome. So I'm excited. I'm excited to get started. This conversation is all about vulnerability. And I don't know if you do a lot of business consulting, but we're going to turn you into a, a business coach today. Okay. Yes, I don't (laughs) normally, but. (laughs) So I have to start with almost all of us feel safest not being vulnerable. Why do you think that it's important? And how do you think that shows up at work? Well, I think a lot of us have thought in the past of vulnerability as being a weakness and maybe even so far as gone as taught how not to be vulnerable and even shamed for being vulnerable. And what the new research says and what we've probably always known is that vulnerability really is the key to 
connection. It's the key to feeling safe. So it's a big part, you know, if you want your work to be creative and to be fulfilling and make new things, we've got to be able to lead with vulnerability and be able to encourage vulnerability and be vulnerable ourselves. I had a big aha reading the book. So I started employing people and managing people when I was 25, which is probably not the best time of your life to to do it. And I have always said, like, I don't like managing people. But the aha that I had when reading the book was that I was so afraid of being a bad, of being a 25 year old manager and not being taken seriously. And instead of bringing that to work, I, I put on armor Yes. And put a lot of space between me and the people that I worked with. And the one person that I had an incredible relationship with, my business partner, Nathan, I felt the most vulnerable with him. We, we shared everything and everything we were afraid of. And I just never had that kind of relationship with people on my team. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, just what you're saying there, the person that you felt most connected to had an awesome relationship, you were able to be vulnerable, or maybe you started out being vulnerable with him because for whatever reason. And I think that's the key. You know, I'm part of an organization where we help train people and people have to be really vulnerable when they do that because it's an experiential kind of learning. So you really put yourself out there and... I remember going through it myself and having so much fear growing up as a perfectionist. You have to get this right. It mattered to me to get it right and to do it well. And I was a beginner, right? And I wasn't supposed to get it right or do it well, right? 10,000 hours in, you do it right and get it well, which is probably where I am now, you know, and uh, looking for the next challenge. So, um So part of what we have done in these training um, modules is to really help people to be vulnerable first, you know, to put ourselves that we were there. We were sitting in those chairs thinking we had to get it right and get it wrong all the time. And then we also encourage people, you know, like when we're doing these experiential things to try to make at least one mistake. And I think if you go in there with, you know, trying to make a mistake, there's so much grace and freedom in that. And so you have this vulnerability with this permission to not get it right or to be perfect or to know everything. So at work, I hear statements like failure is not an option. We have a culture of excellence, Ooh. which is like a secret Ooh. don't fail <laughs> phrase. Uh-huh. What is this doing to the employees? Well, if you want to shut somebody down and take all their creativity away and their vulnerability, then you can lead with those kind of statements. They sound really good, you know, like I'd like to see them on a banner, but not really because they're fear-based, right? And they take away our desire to be creative or take enough time or... I'm I'm wondering, like, what is excellence, you know? Like, I want to define for me because now I'm anxious. Like, I don't even know what that means. And I am a human, so sometimes I am excellent, and sometimes I am mediocre, and sometimes I am, like, not good at all. And I want room for all of that. And uh, 
You know, like earlier you were talking about something and I, I was thinking about my son uh, a little bit. He just graduated law school and is in um, in that first year where they article, he's in Canada, and he got a a review or a review from some of his bosses and they said, the thing that is interesting about you, Cameron, as a young person coming in is you have no fear of asking questions. If you don't know something, you find somebody and you ask them a question. So they said, that never happens with any of the articling students. They don't ask us any question. And they're like, how, like, what gave you... Like the courage to ask us questions. And my kid's so funny. He's just like, he's like, thought that's what you did. Well, <laughs> right? But if if he was trying to be perfect and have all the answers as an articling first year law person, that would be really scary. You know? I mean, he's telling about some of the things he's working on. They're big deals to people. So you want to be able to not be excellent. You want to be able to be who you are, right? And use your skills when they're excellent and go and be able to ask questions or get help when you don't know the answers. I mean, that's an amazing community that people want to be a part of and it can be vulnerable in. I know that in theory, that coming from a fear mindset is very limiting. Yes. But I was a person who was in a large amount of fear. Yes. And I felt very productive. Yes. Yes. So how do you justify those two things? Because I felt like either like a very high functioning person with anxiety or I don't know, maybe it just didn't apply to me. So, but it probably did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. Um, and I, this is the thing. I'm sure you are and were very productive. I'm not saying that right? We can do that. I mean, we can muscle through things like nobody's business and we can get really proud of ourselves for muscling through them, right? Um, And there can be great productivity in that. And that is a narrow road and it can last for a short amount of time. That will lead straight to burnout um, because you're taking a lot of your creative, connective, um, spiritual, I mean, energy, and you're putting it towards muscling. You're putting it towards overriding, right? Which are things that you can do, you know? Lots of people do. It's just not that much fun. It's not necessary. And there won't be as much creativity, and there won't be as much Diana. So what's the other option? Because when I get excited about these concepts and I tell people about them, they're like, but we don't want people to fail. We don't want to encourage people to fail yes, all the yes, time. Yes. So so what's the other option? Well, you know, Brene talks about you have to be able to hold both of these options. So being really productive and, you know, getting nothing done. You know, chaos reigns or or no chaos. I mean, this in psychology is called polarity therapy. You know, the ability for a human being to hold on to both sides of something. And we are not very good at this as a culture. We just want to hang on to that good side. We want to hang on to the productive, the smart, the excellent. We um, we deny all of this. And that is a really slippery slope. 
That is a slippery slope. We have to be able to hold on to both, right? And know that if we can hold on to both, chaos will not reign. So how do we acknowledge, okay, somebody makes a mistake. Yes. What, what do we do to, to encourage vulnerability in the future and yes. not shame them? Well, you know, what I would do is I would, is, you know, as part of my organization, I would be encouraging mistakes. I would be, you know, I have a lot of doctors that come see me too. And they're like, we cannot make mistakes, Candy. <laughs> so cut that, quit it, cut it out. And I said, and my guess is you make mistakes every day. And literally when I say that, I and then I'm just quiet, <laughs> which is what I do well. Um you know, then their vulnerability comes out. Of course, they're making mistakes every day, right? And they have a policy for when they make mistakes, you know? They chart it. They write it down. They do, um, they talk to their board about it. They're, you know, they have a, a system in place to catch us when we're making our mistakes, right? And that's the kind of thing that, I, you know, that I remind them, you know, like, we're humans, you know, doctors are humans, workers are humans, we're all going to make mistakes. And I want to work in a place where mistakes are encouraged and they're, they're known, you know, like, how many did you make every day, you know, and the perfectionists that I work with, you know, like, I ask them to go out and fail. And they hate that. <laughs> I'm sure. It's like the worst thing that I could ever do is, is say, please, before I see you next time, I want you to fail. And I want you to fail. I mean, Brene talks about that. You can't be, you can't be courageous if, if you're not failing. You know, you can't have courage without failure. We're all going to failure. Fail. And so it's, it's like the courage to fail. Brene Brown says that vulnerability feels like being excited and afraid all at the same time. Kind of like switching your bank, Jason. Just like it. Maybe you've had it. You don't feel important or worse. You're excited to make a move to a bank that doesn't charge ridiculous fees and actually pays you interest to bank with them. But you think switching is going to be hard. You're nervous about it. But it's actually easier than a lot of people think. This is hitting so close to home, I'm in tears. <laughs> NBKC wants you to know that they don't have to be your only bank and you don't have to scramble and spend hours toiling to move things over. You can keep your old accounts open and take your time with all the switching that you need to. You don't need to panic. You just need to be a little bit vulnerable and courageous and open a brand new account. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable and tell you that I don't know much about banking, but I do know that NBKC is an equal housing lender and a member FDIC. <laughs> And I also know that if you go to NBC.com, nope. NBKC, if you go to NBC.com, it's a totally different website. Yeah, don't go there. NBKC.com slash Diana. Also, I don't even think there is an NBC.com slash Diana. Let's just Diana. focus what, okay. what we're doing here. NBKC.com slash Diana. If you go there and you open an account, I know that you get a gift box of cool stuff. A box of swag that is not available for sale from professional AF and other products. Right. That's, those are the things that I know. So just to clarify, that's nbkc.com slash Diana to see all of the reasons why you should open an account with NBKC. You can only manage something that you measure, which is where the WHOOP fitness tracker comes in. The WHOOP is the ultimate tracker that provides personalized daily insights into your sleep, 
your strain, and your recovery. I feel like I spend a lot of time now just trying to make my whoop happy, which makes me happier. It's like another person in this house that's keeping track of all this stuff. Like, I also feel like I do things because the whoop tells me when to go to sleep. It tells me how hard to work out. It, it tells me how much strain I can take on in a given day. I think even more important than it being like another really helpful member of the family, it's like having a neutral arbiter so that when I'm just like, no, I'm exhausted. I'm like, look, look at what the whoop says. And you're like, okay, mm, he's exhausted. Okay. I'm going to do can't the dishes. Argue with this. He doesn't have to do them. Uh, honestly, I do believe the whoop. I'm not saying more than I believe you, but it, it, it's just unbiased. Oh, right. I, I understand. Well, look, I don't believe a word you say. But <laughs> no, I believe everything you say. But the whoop tends to uh, confirm. It just knows more. You know, one of the coolest things about it is it knows how many calories you're burning, not just during exercise, but throughout the day. That's so cool. I'm like fascinated the next morning. I'm like, how many calories did I burn? After I looked at it last and, and then, and then I love like ticking back through the days and I'm like, Oh no, I'm, I'm eating the right amount. It's good. People that have signed up for whoop, uh, have reported that they have improved sleep. They drink less alcohol. They have fewer injuries. Clearly lots of other people are trying to make their whoops happy. Not just us. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I making it happy is making me happy. <laughs> whoop has provided an offer to our listeners to get 15% off your purchase with the code Diana. You just go to whoop com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com and use the code Diana at checkout to save 15% off and optimize the way you live. So I work with this young woman, Jessie, who's awesome. And I've been trying something. I want you to give me feedback. And yeah. I'm always surprised. I'm always like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> and then you give me feedback and you're like, ah. So I, you know, I, there's an Ernest Hemingway quote that the first draft of anything is shit. Yeah. And she has waited a long time to send me drafts of things, which limits the amount of time we have to work on it. So right. I constantly say to her, just send me your shitty first draft. Right. What do you think about that? Is that? I love that. Okay. I <laughs> love that. No, it's awesome. Wouldn't it be nice if we all gave ourselves a shitty first draft? Right. I mean, we would get done much faster. Well, you're so right. You see, this is, you are <laughs> so right. You see, and it takes so much courage to have a shitty first draft. Yeah. Right. And to know that the person who's reading your shitty first drafts isn't going to judge you. They're going to be like, oh, you've got some courage, girl. Yeah. You're doing that. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like, thank you. Let's talk about time because it's been such a big part of our conversations. Correct. And I feel like at work, people feel like they're running from meeting to meeting. Yep. And they're being asked to to hustle. Hustle is a form of pride for, for people. Yeah. And they always feel like they're behind. Mm-hmm. How, how do we start thinking about time? at work in a different way. Not just this is this is not going to be an instant quick fix, but also in terms of our work, mm-hmm. how, do, how do we think about it in a different way? What I would encourage us all to start thinking about time in this way, that there's plenty of time. This is like when you used to tell me the world is a safe place. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And you can see how I use three words there. There's plenty or four. There's plenty of time. And then I just got quiet. Yeah. 
And then I just watched my body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I feel like I tell people there's plenty of time and I'm having like a very averse reaction to that statement. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, a verse, but it's also, there's some emotion there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, a verse is, if we were really being vulnerable, it would be, we'd get more curious about that. Right. Because the fact of the matter is there is plenty of time. Yeah. And that's the law of abundance, right? And the more we all start living in that law of abundance and believe that there's plenty of time and plenty of creative solutions and plenty of good leaderships and partnerships, and then what we're doing is we're building everybody's courage. So here we go. Now we're on to it's safer to be vulnerable, right? And I do that often. Someone will bring up something like really important. And I know we have like five or 10 minutes less left in a session. And I'll say, thank you for sharing that. And we have plenty of time in the next five minutes. Let's sit with that, you know. And just even saying there's plenty of time and organizing around the time, you know, like five minutes. Some people say, that's not enough time. Oh my gosh, we only have five minutes. And, you know, you want to talk about this. No, I just sit right back and I go, oh. You know, thank you for sharing. We have plenty of time to really get into that in the next five minutes. And you'd be surprised where it goes. But if my energy would have been like, oh, you can't bring that up. We only have five minutes to talk about that, right? We can spend five minutes talking about how there's not enough time to. That's right. And that's what happens, right? Like when you say there's not enough time, you tense up. You tense up. And then you're not able to be. Creative, courageous, curious, vulnerable. Right. Uh-huh. Yet we think in our logical brain, really pay attention to time and use your time wisely. And time is not your friend. These are all like horrible fear-mongering concepts. They will never lead to vulnerability because now all I am focused on my stomach hurts and I'm thinking I don't have enough time. I'm buying that package. Yeah, unless you know about the law of abundance, and then you'll know there's plenty of time. Okay, so one of the things we also talk about in therapy is decoupling joy and fear. Yes. And that every time I would feel one, I immediately felt the other. So anytime something happy shows up, then a lot of us are like, ah, but something could go horribly wrong any second. That's true. And and this limits like your love, your joy, and your vulnerability. That's correct. So in the book, Brene talks about how we don't celebrate one another at work, or we just like, ah, oh, we haven't finished the project. So I don't, I don't want to ruin anything. I don't want to, you know, have bad mojo by celebrating early. What advice do you have? Like, what is the impact of not celebrating at work each other or, or what we've accomplished and, and what can we do about it? Well, it's in our nature. It's in our biology to celebrate. We are mammals, um, and every time an animal wins a war or a race or whatever they're up to, they do something called pronking, which they go, whew, right? And we do it too. It's what football players used to do at the end of, when they got a, a score, whatever, a touchdown. Bam! They do, It's pronking. They're like, yes, we are the victors. And our culture, I, I think it's part of you know, we don't want to be prideful, which is a very bad plan. We need 
to be prideful, not in an egotistical way, but in like, I'm really proud of me way. (laughs) I did that. Wow. Or I'm really proud of us. Wow. We did that. And then do a happy dance. If you are around little kids at all, watch them. They will be doing some sort of play where they finish it and they're happy with themselves and they, they kick their heels up. It's what animals do. It's what we do. But good nice, polite adults, we've stopped pronking. We've stopped doing happy dances. Every time we do a happy dance, it's a completion. It's like, oh, I did it. And what happens next is that fills us with energy so that we can keep doing, so that we can keep being present in what we are, um, what we are working on or playing with, right? So it's this really good thing that we have forgotten how to do. And the more we can get it back into our life, into our culture, into our work culture, um, the the better off we're all, the more fun we're all going to have, the more joy we're going to have, the more we're able to stretch out our joy, our creativity, our love. I mean, it's such a loving thing. How often should we be pronking? Well, that's a really good question. And there's no should answer. Oh, that's right. Right. Um, (laughs) There's no right or wrong answer. It's sort of making room and noticing when you're proud of yourself. This is what I challenge people to do when they come see me, you know, to look for the small things. And so many people I know, they go, well, that's normal. That's what everybody does. I don't know about that. I don't agree with that. I think that that takes all the fun out of it. If I'm proud of myself, you know, let's say I came in to work and I didn't know how to do something and I asked a question and I got it done. And that might be a pronking moment for me. Another person could have done that piece of work and, you know, 20 minutes, no problem at all. It wouldn't be a pronking moment for them. The pronking moment for them might have been that they got up and went and got a coffee instead of just worked all morning through. They're proud of themselves for taking care of themselves and, you know, going a little slower and taking a break, you know? So it would be really... But as a organizational leader, I would be looking for ways to help my employees prong and to notice when to encourage them to nudge them to be proud of themselves for the small things is it an easy way to begin vulnerability because you're just asking people to celebrate i mean it is an act of vulnerability because we don't want to be seen as like or if we think we're better than other people you know i don't know for all the reasons we don't prong at work it's i think it's the beautiful way to start. And it's a beautiful, you know, Brene's always saying we need a, a accountability. Like, what will it look like to be vulnerable? I think that could be on their accountability sheets, you know, like I notice when I'm proud of myself and I pronk, you know, watch your culture change just from that one small little shift. You know, it's one of the things that I look for when I look in organizations for psychological safety on a team, I look for joy. And if, if the joy is missing, then there usually also isn't psychological safety. So there's a good scientific explanation of, of why that is. I love that. Mm-hmm. This episode is also brought to you by Diana Kander speaking. Diana's been doing a lot of speaking this year, and uh, I found two more testimonials that I was going to share with all of you. Do you mind if I do it in an accent? I wish you would not. But what do you, do you mean that I should Please not? Please just read them. Oh, okay, then. The first one is, we hired Diana to speak at a conference. Not only did she take time to understand the audience before her presentation, she also actively interacted with them during the conference. 
As we received conference survey results back from attendees, many of them wrote the most valuable session at the conference was simply Diana. Perhaps they meant Diana. Uh, The next one, I am a meeting planner, so I have seen lots of keynote speakers and very few have had an impact as much as yours has on this group. Keep up the good work and keep improving yourself. Whatever you are doing is working. Blush, blush. That was a Midwestern accent throughout. I tricked you. Oh, did did you do the accent? I just did a flat Kansas City accent the whole way through and you did not detect it. Well, I really appreciate you sharing those testimonials. If people would like more information, they could just go to dianacander.com. No code necessary. Okay, well, let's say I am interested in being more, creating a more vulnerable environment in my workplace. What advice would you give to to get started? Well, I think um, in Dare to Lead, um, Brene asks people to look at their um, what is important to their character and to choose, um, you know, to choose a list. She gives a list of like, I think, 100 um, things like courage and love and family and smart and, you know, all kinds of things that what's important to you. I think really looking at what is important to people and having them really narrow that down to to a couple um, character traits that they are choosing to live their life by and then really bringing in integrity. Okay, how are you choosing those things when you're at work, you know, when you're at home? Um, Because I think a lot of times we are going so fast, we think we're living our, you know, our true authentic lives. And we're, if we're living out of fear, we're not. We're living because we're afraid we want to pay the bills or I might get fired or somebody doesn't like me or instead of what, you know, how am I organizing my life? You know, what is really important to me? And then getting really clear on those, like what parts of those are important, you know? So I think as an organization, you have those kind of character traits that are important to you, but also individually, you know, your employees, what what they're coming to work with. And then how do we, how do we share those with one another? Well, and I think, I think, you know, being open to share those with each other. I was thinking when I was reading Dare to Lead, my husband's an executive at a company here in Kansas City, and they all did a little training with the Dare to Lead. And one of the things that they did to share their vulnerabilities. They like to have fun, which I love. They're in their small company. They put together a auction for charity or something. And everybody um, at different times brought in a basket that helped that of all their favorite things or things that mattered to them or that were important to them or that they loved. So my husband made this big basket and it had, um, He's a big Michigan State fan, and people know that about him, right? Because it's a big Sparty up. But they also, I don't think they knew, oh, it's going to make me cry, how much he loves his family. And um, they probably do because he talks about them a lot, but just how much he loves me. And it's just really sweet. And he um, he picked really personal things to him. And then he shared that basket with people, and they got to bid on it for charity and through each one of them, I got to know. He would just come home and tell me about the baskets. And I, I was like, I never knew that about Melanie. Or, you know, I didn't know that about Cokie. Or, 
Oh, that's so cool. Because when you then when you really know that person, it's hard for you to just look at them as a boss or look at them as mm, they do that or um, I don't like the way they do that. It's sort of like, wow, this is that. This is who this person is at as a whole. And each one of those baskets were a basket full of vulnerability. And I thought, that's so beautiful. How did they think about it? Or how did they figure that out? But I really think it probably came from Brene. You know, it's really interesting. I have been thinking that a lot of teams think that they have like quality time and vulnerability building by spending a lot of time together. Like they have meals together, right. they have events. Right. And I, I almost started thinking like, it's, it's not enough to just be together that we have to have these conversation starters oh yes to have real authentic connection because if you can you can you can ask things like that yes gosh i i've seen so one of the questions i like to ask is name a point of serious inflection in your life when you found yourself growing the most yes yes and people talk about life death right Cancer, but there, it's always you know at a time when they felt the most, and I, I, I just watch people connecting to each other in such a strong way. Exactly, which, which then the culture feels so different than we're at work. It feels like you know more of a warm hug. Which the more warm hugs that we have, the better our brains work. There's science that says that. You want someone to have their whole brain on, their thinking brain, their relational brain, their logic reasonable brain. You got to get the ladder from the fear brain, the animal brain up there. And the ladder is made of love. It's the warm hug. And we're so afraid of a warm hug in our culture in so many ways, you know, from the way we raise our babies on up. But that's the key. That's the secret. All right. Well, I've thought of several t-shirts I want to make today after our conversation. Uh, the first is the love ladder. There you go. <laughs> and yeah, the, that's a Daniel Siegel thing. Is so. that right? Okay. Yes. I won't steal that. Um, how about there's plenty of time. There's plenty of time. Candy Smith. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm not crying, Jesse. Are you crying? You're crying. Yeah, it's happening over (laughs) here. There's a lot of vulnerability happening. What uh, an incredible and powerful conversation. You know, I just want to take a a little bit of time to dive even deeper into the concept of the shitty draft that we have implemented the first time I've ever tried it with anybody. Tell me how it's been working for you. Well, it's a relief for me, knowing that my final project doesn't need to be amazing and that we're going to iterate on it over time. And so sometimes when I'm working on something, I'm like, all right, I know that this is going to come back and we're going to fix it, but I'm just going to send my shitty draft over. But it, it helps the work get done so much faster. So much faster. Right? Yes. Than like stressing out about it. Yeah. And it's, it challenges me to like put my stuff out there when it's not ready. I mean, the volume of work we've been producing over the last couple of weeks has been great, but only thank you to Shitty Drafts. Seriously. Uh, it's amazing. It. Uh, any other takeaways that you had from thinking about vulnerability and bringing your whole self to, to work? I just think it's so important. I think uh, leaders have this preconceived notion that they need to have all the answers, but the way to create engagement with your employees is to admit you don't have all the answers and work with them to find the best solutions. I know. I feel like we work with a lot of individuals who are like, ah, it's just like a waste of time. And it could actually be the most valuable thing that you do on your team. Totally. To make everything go faster. 
Totally. Well, I'd love for you to join the conversation with me and Jesse on our Facebook group, Professional AF Podcast Insiders, where we now also post our most professional AF looking photos. <laughs> Jesse and I are traveling this week and uh, we have challenged ourselves to come up with some gifts and professional AF looking photos. So please join us on the Facebook group. Nice plug for our own accountability. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we will be accountable to you to create um, those really, really professional looking photos. We hope that you join us. I am Diana Kander here with Jesse Jacob, reminding you that curiosity is your superpower. Make sure to use it today. <laughs>